0: I think probably the best thing about the radio days was that as an actor, you could stay fluent. You were in and out. The job was done. The ease and speed of radio, the absence of commitment, the absence of time spent, you could have all the thrill and all the challenge of a full performance with four rehearsals and the air show. Mm Mm-hmm and you didn't spend eight hours driving to and from location and getting in and out of wardrobe and waiting for the young actors to learn how to do their parts. This
1: is WSM in Nashville, and this is The Big Sound.
2: As the U.S. began May of 1954, there was word that a new Soviet bomber had the ability to reach the United States. It was displayed for the public for the first time at the Moscow May Day Parade. On May 7th, the Battle of Dien Bien Phu would end in a French defeat. U.S. Secretary of State John Foster Dulles declared Vietnam non-essential to security in Southeast Asia. The U.S. would not intervene for France. And as several massive U.S. fishing vessels were sinking off the coast of Alaska, the Boeing 707 was being released after two years in development.
1: Now, before you ask, what's this all about, we'd like to tell you. This is about a radio station in Nashville, Tennessee, a station that was just given the 1953-1954 Variety Show Management Award as the outstanding music station in the United States. With a minimum of fuss and a maximum of music... WSM would like to acknowledge that award here and now. And we do it with the big sound. The sound of our singers, musicians, and music.
2: Love is just around the corner. cozy little corner. On May 1st, NBC affiliate WSM signed on with the big sound. WSM is a 50,000-watt clear channel station located in Nashville, Tennessee. Founded by the National Life and Accident Insurance Company, the station's call sign stands for We Shield Millions. WSM first signed on on October 5, 1925. The next month, on November 28th, the WSM barn dance took to the air for the first time. On December 10, 1927, the program's host, Judge George D. Hay, referred to the show for the first time as the Grand Ole Opry. The Opry began running coast to coast on Saturday evenings in 1939. The show moved to the Ryman Auditorium in 1943. As it developed in importance, so did the city of Nashville, which became America's country music capital. By 1954, WSM was considered the outstanding music station in the country. That October 2nd, a teenage Elvis Presley would have his only Opry performance.
3: Between us, than Venus, and what's more
2: you got all. The times, they were a changing. Tonight, we'll dive in for a closer look. Love is just around
3: the corner, and I'm around you, around you.
1: Hi, folks, this is Buddy Hall, transcribing for the more than 200 entertainers here at WSM. The people who sing and play the music. The people who make the big sound. A footnote. The big sound of WSM is not a thing of sheer blast. It's quality and it's quantity. Last year, WSM fed hundreds of programs to the networks. Top quality jazz, folk music, the classics, choral groups, and the hits of the day.
2: Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 127. My name is James Scully. Tonight, we keep on with our look at 1954 by picking up in May, during one of the most important months of the decade. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Once I Had a Secret Love, as performed by Dolores Watson, May 1st, 1954, on WSM's The Big Sound. She was a WSM mainstay in the mid-century. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash the wallbreakers. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers.
0: New York radio back then probably was a little bit more flexible because they were trying to borrow people from the theater, from the stage, you know, when they could. But I'm only guessing as to why it was different. I had no difficulty getting into commercial radio in New York because it was never an option. I was dragged across still in uniform from Air Force radio to civilian radio Still doing both, you know, doing military and civilian shows in the same day, in the same week, still in uniform, waiting for points to pile up. The war long over. Because, as it happened, my immediate superior in the Air Force, radio propaganda unit number one, was in commercial radio, had been in commercial radio. We had been at school together in New Haven. We had done broadcasts together before the war on the Yankee Network in New Haven, Connecticut, with him playing the piano and me reading words. And then I found him uh, as my director-producer. He was a captain, and I was closest they could get me to civilian. They kept on tearing stripes off my sleeves as fast as I could (laughs) sew them up. We went right across from Air Force Radio to the Carrington Playhouse. Lane Carrington was the queen of soap opera writers in daytime soaps and had gotten a nighttime, hour-long melodrama that would have been the radio equivalent of Dallas. Mm. And we had it on the air, I think it was CBS. Mm -hmm. And all of us who were in uniform were in there doing the Carrington Playhouse. So I never had any difficulty cracking New York radio.
4: Everett Sloan, bless him, wherever he is. People like Everett Sloan, I mean, we're only a few of us, he would do anything. You go see Citizen Kane and see what he did yeah. in Citizen Kane. The thing is that they could function in, uh, in the theater, in film, oh, sure. as well as, as radio. All virtual yeah. actors. Yeah. They were really actors,
2: not just radio actors. but No, actors. no,
4: oh, no. There's no such thing as a radio right. yeah. actor. Yeah. That is yeah. a but final pejorative term. Right, but <laughs> certainly yeah, you certainly could get stereotyped into that if you allowed yourself. But. but so many went from here to the West Coast. Yeah, I'll never forget the night Richard Widmark said goodnight high after the repeat broadcast, and he took the red eye, and he went to do the film for Fox where he pushed the old lady down the stairs (laughs) and he still is there for me certainly and i Mm -hmm. talked to him i recently did a series with him for the voice of america Mm -hmm. these were wonderful men and women just remembering them i'm grateful to both of you for
2: bringing these memories back everett sloan was born in new york city on october 1st 1909 at the age of seven he played puck of Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream and decided to become an actor. In 1927, he joined a theater company. He made his New York stage debut in 1928.
1: Today has published the most comprehensive treatise on Americanisms to date. The book whose previous editions were read in England translated into
0: German.
2: In the 1930s, Sloan was appearing on the March of Time. It was there he met a young Orson Welles Wells hired Sloan to be part of his Mercury Theater. He moved from New York City to Los Angeles after Wells signed his contract with RKO. Sloan had a prominent role in Citizen Kane. In the 1940s, he worked on both coasts, guest-starring in radio on Inner Sanctum Mysteries, The Shadow, The Mysterious Traveler, and in films such as The Lady from Shanghai, Journey Into Fear, and Prince of Foxes. By 1953, he was being featured on TV and starring on radio in the 21st Precinct as Captain Frank Kennelly. The 21st Precinct debuted on July 7, 1953 over WCBS in New York. It put the listener into the drama from the opening phone call until the final report. In May of 1954, it was airing Wednesdays at 8.30 p.m. against the Great Gildersleeve on NBC. Starring with Sloan was Ken Lynch as Lieutenant Matt King and Harold Stone as Sergeant Waters. John Ives produced and Stanley Niss directed.
4: 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Uh, wait a minute, lady. Talk slower. I can't understand you. A man in a hall? What's he doing there? Yeah? Yeah? Was he drunk? You are in the muster room at the 21st 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right. I'll send an officer over right away. Well, don't worry about it. He'll be there right away. He'll take care
3: of it. Yes, ma'am. 21st Precinct.
4: I was working my night tour, 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. It had been a quiet night in the precinct, and after I turned out the platoon for the 12 to 8, as superior officer on duty in the division during the night, I was called to the 23rd precinct to supervise the patrol force on duty at a three-alarm fire near the approach to the Triborough Bridge. I was still out of the precinct at 2.10 a.m. when patrolman William F. Coley, assigned to post number 4, approached a call box on York Avenue to make his hourly ring. Sergeant Waters.
5: Patrolman Coley, Box 31.
4: Hold on a second, Coley. I've got something for you. Yes, sir. Listen. Walk around the 341 there.
5: Yeah.
4: A party named Heal is called in. There's a drunk sleeping in the hallway.
5: Okay, Sergeant.
4: When you get it cleaned up, ring in again. you will take your meal.
5: Yes, sir. Yes?
6: Uh, I hate to bother you, but I'm a little confused. Uh, which way is the subway station?
5: The uh, Lexington Avenue subway?
6: Yes, that'll be all right.
5: That's four blocks this way and one downtown. Oh,
6: thanks. It's all right. I got sort of mixed up. Is um, that a local or, or an express station?
5: A local. Which way are you going? To, to Brooklyn. Well, then take the local to Grand Central and change for the express station.
6: Oh, thanks. Ah. Uh... Yes? Do you smoke?
5: Yes, ma'am, but uh, not on the job.
6: Look, officer. What? There's just one or two cigarettes smoked out of this package. I'd like to sell it to you for a nickel. Look, madam, I please. Told... I've got ten cents. I need fifteen to ride the subway. Oh. Please take what's in the pack of cigarettes and, and give me a nickel. It's a bargain. It's really a bargain. Look,
5: I don't want your cigarettes, lady.
6: You can see I'm dressed all right. I'm on a trap. Yeah,
5: yeah, I can see that. That's right.
6: It's really a long, sad story. I'd rather
5: not go into it, if you don't mind. You don't have to. You, uh, you want to borrow a nickel?
6: I want to sell you my cigarette. That's
5: not necessary. Here. You, uh, sure you have the dime?
6: That's all I've got. Here you are. And here are your cigarettes.
5: Oh, forget it. I, I can afford to be that generous.
6: Where can I send it to oh, you? Forget
5: it. It's nothing.
6: Oh, look, I certainly appreciate it. You don't know how much I appreciate it. It's
5: all right. I know how you feel.
6: I don't know what to say. You see, I'm not a tramp.
5: It's okay, lady. Oh, uh, I've got a job in this building. Now, you just walk over to Lexington Avenue in downtown one block.
6: Well, thanks a lot. It's okay. I certainly appreciate it. Really?
5: Yeah. Policeman? Yeah, that's right. He's on the second floor landing, passed out drunk. Right outside of my door almost. Look, the downstairs door is locked. Can you press the buzzer? Uh, all right. J- just a second.
6: you passed
5: out. All right, I'm coming. How
6: do you get in here? I don't
5: know. Well, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him.
6: An old man like
5: that will lose all his self-respect. Hey, Pop. Pop,
6: come on. Wake up.
5: Uh, what's the matter? Come on, Pop. Sit up.
6: Oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ashamed uh, of yourself.
5: That's it, Pop. That's it. What are you doing here, huh? sleeping, that's all, just sleeping. Look, don't you know better than to get drunk in other people's hallways? No, I'm not drunk, I was just sleeping. Look, Pop, you can kid yourself, but you can't kid me. No, I'm not drunk, I'm 78 years old, I never had a drink in my life.
6: Then what were you doing here? What were you doing in this hallway?
5: I was sleeping. Can you stand up? Of course I can stand up, but...
6: the dear, coming into a hallway and sleeping.
5: Well, I wanted to sleep someplace. Don't you have a home? No, not anymore You live someplace, Pop, where? If I lived someplace, I'd be there I wouldn't be sleeping in the hallway
6: Why did you have to pick my hallway right outside of my door? I'm
5: sorry, I didn't know it was your hallway Any hallway had been good enough What's your name, Pop? You called me Pop Now come on, will you? Pop is good enough Look, old timer It's two o'clock in the morning And we're going to wake up the whole building Now what's your name and where do you live? My name is Pop And I don't live anyplace Look, I can't stand here and waste time with you I can take you down to the station house And we'll get it settled there He's not drunk What do you want to do that for? Lady, you sent for the police I thought he was drunk You can take me to the station house if you want to I don't care Look, I want to be reasonable Just tell me your name and where you live And what you were doing here And we'll see if we can get the whole thing straightened out. You saw what I was doing here. I was sleeping. Well, what's your name? Pop. All right. You, uh, you have a phone, don't you, Mrs.? uh...
6: Healus. Mrs. Bertha Healus. You have a phone? Uh, Yes, I have a phone.
5: we go inside so I can ring in?
6: Uh, Yes, we can go inside. But what are you going to do with him? He wasn't drunk. I I was mistaken about that. Look,
5: I don't know what to do with him. That's what I want to ring in for. Let them tell me.
4: Patrolman Coley rang into the station house and explained the situation to Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer on duty. He was instructed to bring the man to the station house, and for this purpose, an RMP car was sent by radio to the address. In the meantime, the fire in the 23rd precinct had been extinguished, and I returned to the 21st. It was 2.25 a.m. when I got out of the car, crossed the sidewalk, and walked up the three stone steps into the muster room of the precinct house. It is required by the manual of procedure that the commanding officer sign the blotter immediately upon leaving or entering the station house. And I went around the desk to comply. Hello, Captain. Sergeant? 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Hello, Red. Captain? All right, hold on. Lieutenant? Yes? Gay Hill is ringing in. It reports one mail at Roosevelt Hospital in that auto wreck. The Tesla went over in the ambulance.
5: All right, Tunk. resume patrol until castle rings in that he's ready to be picked up.
4: Yes, sir. Okay, Red, it's all yours. Resume
5: patrol. Big fire up
4: there, Captain? Yeah, Red. It uh, burned out this one building almost completely. Ran about 30 families out on the street. Lucky it's a warm night. Yeah. And uh, we had to reroute bridge traffic. Nobody hurt, was there? No, the alarm was turned in fast. Come on, Pop. Right up to the desk.
5: Where? Where do you want me? Yeah, right here is all right. Here he is, Lieutenant. Hello, Captain. Coley. You still won't tell you his name, Coley? No, sir. Will you tell me, Pop? Well, if I wouldn't tell him, why should I tell you? What's this all about, Coley? Well, he was sleeping in the hallway, Captain. The lady who called in thought he was drunk. All right. I wasn't drunk. I never had a drink in my life.
4: Well, uh, what were you doing there, Pop?
5: Sleeping. Now, look, Pop, we don't want to put you in jail. Let's get it straightened out. What's your name? Well, I'm not so sure jail would be so bad. At least there's a bed in jail. The floor in that hall is kind of hard. What about your family? What about them?
4: Well, where are they? Can we get in touch with them?
5: I'd I'd rather go to jail. Well, it wouldn't be any problem. Sleeping in a hallway, that's disorderly conduct. Maybe you call it disorderly conduct. I was just sleeping because I was tired. How old are you? 78. I was 78 in March.
4: Don't you have any money? Well, I've got three four dollars. Look, don't you want to tell us your name? No, no, I thought I made that clear. Well, uh, how can we help you out? I don't know that you're trying to help me. If
5: you are trying, I don't know that I want your help.
4: We are trying to help you. Well, maybe so,
5: but I'm still not going to tell you my name. All right, Coley, let's see what's in his pockets. Put your hands up on the rail, Pop.
4: Well, I don't want to let you search me. Oh, well, look, it's the law, Pop. We're required to search all prisoners. Well, if it's the law, I, I don't want to go against that.
3: Oh, Lieutenant. Uh, yeah.
4: I think I saw an alarm yesterday. A missing person's report on a 78-year-old man. Did you? I think so. All right. All right, and go see if you can locate it. Yes, sir.
5: Uh, right away, Captain. $3.88. Gee, I was pretty close about the money. I said between $3 and $4. Yes. I... Uh, You're not going to take that pipe away from me. I've had that 16 years. You'll get it back. One key, a door key. You can throw that away. I don't know why I'm carrying it around.
4: That's all. No identification Coley. Not a thing, sir. Look inside your suit coat pocket, see if there's a label. Yes, sir. You won't find the thing now. There's no use looking.
5: No, no label, Captain. Nothing here. I think I found the alarm, Captain. Oh, come on, Pop. We don't want to waste any more time.
4: Description fits.
5: We should be out catching robbers. i better get that. Uh, excuse me, Captain.
4: Yeah? Put me in jail if you want to. Pop, is your name John W. Lowfield? My
3: first
4: precinct, Sergeant Waters. Is it? We have a missing persons alarm for a John W. Lowfield, aged 78 years old, put out yesterday morning by his daughter, Mrs. Elizabeth Heppel, 42 West 79th Street. She, uh, she says he's missing from home and describes him as five feet eight inches tall, 145 pounds, medium build, gray, almost white hair, glasses, wearing a brown suit, gray sweater. Well, this suit's brown, isn't it? And the sweater's gray. Are you John W. Lowfield? The uh, description says he has a two-inch cut scar in the palm of his right hand. Let's see your right hand, Pop.
5: He's got it, Captain. I'm not going back there now. There's no use you calling her. I'm not going back there. I'm I'm just not. Why not? They don't want me. She's your daughter, isn't she? That doesn't make her want me. She got worried that you were missing What did you do, run away? No, I I didn't run. I'm too old to run. I just walked.
3: You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. If you were to sit down and list some of the rights and freedoms that you have, you would probably list the big things like, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion and others. Well, those are mighty important. But what about the little things? Things you don't think about much because you pretty well accept them as a matter of course. Like choosing the business or profession you want to go into. You know, in some countries, you work at the job assigned to you with no free choice at all. Or like getting as much education as you can in schools that are open to all. In some countries, education is only for the privileged few. Or take a little thing like buying a house or renting an apartment for your family. There are places in this world where you live right where you're told. Have you ever thought about why you're allowed these free choices? Why you accept it as your right? It's because such free choices are guaranteed to you and your children and to generations in the future. To be exact, it's in Article 9 of our Bill of Rights. The men who wrote our Constitution and our Bill of Rights put this in just in case they forgot to mention something important in the others. It says... The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. You get that? It's not left to Congress or the President or any special group. These rights belong to all of us, to the people. It's one of our freedoms. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Penelope.
4: Because John W. Lowfield, the 78-year-old man found sleeping in the hallway at 2 o'clock in the morning, was the subject of a missing persons alarm, he was not booked in on the charge of disorderly conduct. Instead, he was taken upstairs to the 21st Detective Squad to await disposition of the case. In the meantime, Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer, informed the Manhattan Communications Bureau, which in turn put out a cancellation of the alarm on the teletype. According to established procedure, the desk officer in the 20th precinct on the west side of Manhattan sent a patrolman to the residence of Mrs. Elizabeth Heppel, the daughter of John W. Lowfield, who reported him missing, to notify her that he'd been located. At 3.15 a.m., while I was out on patrol of the precinct, Detective Edward D. McInerney returned from his meal. Carrying a paper bag, he walked in the front door of the station house, through the back room, and up the stairs to the 21st Detective squad.
6: There was something about the radio group... Well, the time was different, of course. But I think the people involved in radio, the performance I'm talking about now... See, nobody had to get their noses fixed and nobody had to worry about weight. There wasn't the terrible competition about who was more attractive. A man who physically was not what you would call Clark Gable, Everett Sloan, God rest his soul, was the most romantic actor on radio. In a truly classical sense, he was absolutely the most appealing, masculine, macho, handsome, beguiling person. Well, that couldn't happen in any of the
0: visual branches of the media.
2: Everett Sloan continued to be a busy actor until 1965. On August 6th of that year, recently diagnosed with glaucoma and fearing blindness, he took his own life. He was survived by his wife, Lillian, and two children. Everett Sloan is buried at Angeles Rosedale Cemetery in Los Angeles.